gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe, here in this great hall of justice. The superheroes have to be around other superheroes. You know what I mean? That's the hall of justice is more about them just commiserating about their powers and less about them like actually fighting crime. Seth Everett is the best there is at what he does, Bob. And what he does is the Hall of Justice Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Hall of Justice. My name is Seth Everett and this episode 203 is literally two great guests. Zara Fuzzle and Vincent Martella are the guests they play Talia Al Ghul and they play Jason Todd in Batman Death in the Family. Now, last week we spoke to Brandon Vietti, and in the process, we learned about this animated feature. This is the latest in the DC Universe, and this is not the app. This is the DC Universe string of movies that has been some of the best DC content ever created, let alone in the modern era. Batman Death in the Family is a short film or a long film, depending on how you watch it, meaning it's a choose-your-own-adventure. It's like Black Mirror. It's like uh, there was an unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. There's this way where there'll be a pause in the film, and you can make a choice. And based on your choice, something significant happens. The story is based on Jason Todd and the death of Robin. And it is in the continuity of Batman Under the Red Hood. Batman Under the Red Hood is one of the early DC Universe films, and I would argue one of the best. It is one of the most dramatic. And in the prequel of Batman Under the Red Hood, the Joker kills Jason Todd. And then there's a whole storyline. You see parts of that. And in the beginning of the film, there are parts of it that leads up to the first choice. But it's expanded, and it's different, and it's not the same. It's the same continuity. It's the same artwork. It looks the same, but it's very, very different. So there's so many different permutations, and the only spoilery thing I'm going to say is there's a lot of combinations. And I saw, I, I don't even know if I've seen all of them. Um, I've seen a couple and it's great. Our first guest is a voice actor who has been doing it for a while, but we have seen her burst onto the scene recently. Uh, she's Halo in this show, Young Justice. Uh, she was in Shira, Princess of Power. She's been in Voltron, which I have done a deep dive in this summer. Uh, she's been in Trolls. She's been in a lot of different things, but she, for this film, plays Talia in Batman, Death, and the Family. Zara Fuzzle, it's an honor. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the Hall of Justice. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Seth. Ooh, I like it here. Hall of Justice, nice. I know, it's, and, and you know, it's so funny because people think that we're all DC all the time, but we're not. But it's funny, most of the stuff that you've been in 
that's in the superhero realm. I mean, you've done Voltron and She-Ra. I guess that's yeah. not a DC or a Marvel, but you've kind of gravitated toward DC stuff. I mean, Young Justice, and obviously now with uh, Batman Death in the family. Yeah, I, I feel super lucky to be playing in the DC sandbox. There's so many great characters and stories, and I feel, I feel really, really fortunate and lucky that I'm able to, to take play so many of them. <laughs> Well, let, let's, let's talk about Death in the Family first, because I want to ask you about Young Justice, because uh, there's so many things that the, the, the fans are so gaga about that show. And, yeah. you know, people haven't seen Death in the Family yet, so they're, they're, they're going there. Um, Talia, what kind of research had you done about it? And she's had all kinds of different accents, and you can do all kinds of different accents. I've heard it. What's the accent and what was the, the thought process behind how you voiced Talia? Oh, yes. So I was so excited when I was offered the role of Talia because obviously she's this iconic DC villain. And I had been most familiar with her through um, Marion Cotillard's portrayal in the Christopher Nolan films. Oh, get out. Um, Very well done. Yeah. And, um, but I, you know, I knew a little bit more about her. I did some research. I know that she's had various iterations and various different people have played her in the animated universe and used different voice prints. Right. I think what was important in figuring out her accent, her voice in this project, um, we sat down, uh, with, I sat down with Brandon Vietti and Wes Gleason, our voice director, and they, we all were of a similar mind that Talia should sound like Jason Isaacs, who played Rachel Ghoul in Under the Red Hood, which is in the same universe as this yes, Batman. Very good. So yeah, and what would she sound like if she were someone who went through the British education system? So she definitely leans more Brit. <laughs> and um, in terms of approaching her character, her psychology, I've always admired, I've always thought Talia and Bruce Wayne have a lot in common in the sense that they're both these characters who are living under these legacies of father figures and trying to strike out on their own and figure out what does it mean to honor a legacy? What does it mean to build your own legacy? What does it mean to build your own family? Mm. And I think they actually align a lot on that, even though they have very different ways of going about it. <laughs> and so I wanted to figure out, you know, she's someone who's obviously in control. She's a cool customer. She doesn't need to push because she has everything figured out. And, um, you know, she firmly believes that she's right in her choices and her actions. And I thought that was such an interesting uh, thing to play, as well as she has this huge I don't know if you want to call love a soft spot, but there's this emotionality towards, you know, Bruce Wayne in particular, that I feel like she's very indulgent in her emotions um, towards the men she loves in her life. <laughs> and so that was something I wanted to bear in mind as well. I remember uh, Talia was voiced by Helen Slater. I remember that and in Batman the Animated Series, and then Olivia Hussey, uh, I, I think that's how you say her name, in Batman Beyond, where he goes back and offers the old Bruce Wayne uh, the chance. She's had so many key animated roles, and it's so funny that you went to Marion Cotard because she is brilliant in that movie, and I don't even think of her as Talia because you only find that out at the very, very end. It's, it's such an interesting reference. I, it, it's so fascinating. Um, there's one other aspect to Talia um, and it was 10 years ago when I saw Under the Red Hood, so I may be speaking out of school here. 
But I do believe that in Under the Red Hood, Rachel Gould calls him detective. Do you call him beloved? And could you tell me how that sounds? Because our listeners, when Talia calls Bruce Wayne beloved, that's, that's the moment. That's the Talia thing. Gosh, what an interesting question. You know, I suppose <laughs> you'll have to get the Blu-ray on October. Oh my goodness. Oh. Find out. <laughs> I tried. Folks, I tried. I, I gave it a legitimate, that was a journalistic shot right there. <laughs> well, that, that, that's very cool. And, and the aspects of, you know, we, we spoke to Brandon Vietti last week and just the idea of revisiting these characters, but in so many different ways. Does Talia appear in more than half of them? Does, does she appear in all the different ways? I will say that the times you see Talia are, there's very different, the viewer will have made different choices. Uh, and so as a result, the stakes, the emotional stakes, um, the circumstances, under which you see her will be different. So that was something that was very enjoyable too about working on a film like this that has an interactive element. You really get to explore different sides of a character. You know, what is this character like when things are going well for them? What is this character like when things are not going well for them? And so you will see, I, I did get to explore some different circumstances of oh, her. Wow. That's very, very cool. Um, you haven't been doing animation for too long. I mean, you've had some great roles in the last couple of years. I mean, 2018, how did you make the transition to animation? I know you had done some plays and I do have to ask you about playing Hitler because uh, they'll take my journalism card if I don't. But okay. what, what about the transition to um, playing uh, animation and was Voltron your first gig? I actually, so here's the interesting thing about animation. Um, you'll record something and then it'll come out three years later sometimes. Oh, okay. I've actually been doing animation for about eight years. Um, though, it, I, just in the last few years, a lot of the projects I had been working on have finally been released and I've kind of been building momentum and I've become known for I gotcha. video games. But um, I would say, you know, my work in the theater, it all feeds into, acting is acting and everything feeds into each other. I will say that when I was a kid, I wanted to be an animator. So it's been a very natural marriage for me, the marriage of my love for acting and theater with the visual medium of animation. I'm so lucky, fortunate, blessed that I get to do both um, of those things through being an actor for animation. Um, and yes, I did play Hitler in a solo uh, theater piece. <laughs> Right. Over a decade you ago, you did that, right? I, I, it was. I, I didn't <laughs> click on the YouTube. It was an academic piece, uh, an adaptation of a play by Yukio Mishima, who was a famous Japanese playwright, um, about the Night of Long Knives. Not that this is a World War II history podcast. No, <laughs> it was about a crucial turning point. Somebody um, just drove off the road. I read, as, as we said it. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, that was fascinating. Um, fascinating. I'm a big Japanese history nerd. Japanese theater nerd. And so examining that play uh, was very interesting. Very interesting. Well, I'll go off the beaten path for a second then because you're referencing Japanese theater. Uh, HBO Max has the Ghibli Studios. Oh, and yeah. they have a host of anime. And I actually asked a colleague of mine who's, you know, she's Japanese and she's a massive anime fan. And I said, well, what's your top five? 
You know what I mean? And, 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 and let's go by, by hers. Do you have an affinity for all of that stuff? You, your loves, I mean, if you like Japanese theater and animation, Japan produces some of the greatest animation ever. Yes, I actually majored in Japanese in college and spent some time over there working in Japanese TV and theater. Um, what a fun I, country. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, I love the language and I love the history and um, we could go on and on talking about it. I will say that I'm a huge fan of Revolutionary Girl Udena. That was my favorite anime of all time nice. um, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And I mean, yeah, I mean, Studio Ghibli is just amazing. Oh, it's, fa it's fascinating. Um, I remember uh, I've been to Japan twice with Major League Baseball and they were two of the most unique experiences ever going to Rapungi and, uh, and, and going to Fukuoka and all of the different places. Osaka, we went to Osaka. It was crazy in Japan and what a neat place. Uh, really, really a fascinating place. Uh, in the time we have, um, Young Justice. Um, first of all, Halo has such a big arc um, yeah. I would imagine that that's a treasure trove. It's not just to play a key character, but she had that, that is a massive role in that she season. She goes on a journey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No joke. And, and on, on top of that, there's some really cute moments where she's kind of experiencing life and you have to be very uh, coy when you're doing that voice. It, it's a, it's a fascinating role and she's the key point of the whole arc. Yeah, I, I feel so fortunate that I was able to, well, first of all, like that Young Justice even came back. That's such a huge testament to the fans who were directly responsible. All because of Twitter. It's nuts. Yeah, for getting it trending when it was on Netflix. And so, you know, when I was invited to be part of the third season, first of all, it was like a dream come true working with Greg Wiseman. Like I, he'd, he had been my mentor for years. Um, and I had been a big fan of his work, Gargoyle, Spectacular Spider-Man. So it was such a treasure to work with him, uh, to get to know Brandon Vietti then, the, uh, right, uh, right. through that. And uh, yeah, Halo is very, very special to me. Um, I think that she's a good analogy for going through adolescence, you know, when you're first awakened to all these new feelings and sensations and you really have to question yourself for the first time. Like, am I, am I making the right decision? Am I being good to those around me? What does it mean? And, you know, so that was just an absolute treasure of an arc to explore. Um, and to play a bunch of other characters on that show was a real treasure too. You know, it's such a big cast. So That's all amazing. of us are called upon to do multiple voices per episode. So I just feel like so, and I'm so glad I could be a part of that. And I'm so glad it's coming back for a season four. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, it's, it's, it's absolutely crazy. Um, real quick, uh, real quick. Shira, who's the target demo for Shira and the Princesses of Power? Because I don't think it's the nostalgia people who subscribe to something like Hall of Justice. It seems very different. And I don't know who the target demo is. Ah, oh, gosh. I mean, I don't know specifically what the target demo is but i would say it's for you know is it young girls is it grown-up girls is it grown-up boys and girls <laughs> I, I mean I, I love it as a grown-up girl <laughs> i i love it and i wish i had it when i was eight years old and so i think it is for the young ones um for the young ones down there again she plays talia in batman death in the family the blu-ray comes out august 13th Zara, it, it has been so much fun having you on. Please come back to the show and we'll do it for a longer time. 
Oh, Seth, I would love to. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Oh, it's, it's fascinating. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Back with more of the Hall of Justice in just a moment. But first, have you seen DC's Legends of Tomorrow? The completely evolved series that started out with Rip Hunter and now has become one of the wildest, most comic book-like shows going on. Their fifth season is out on Blu-ray and DVD. And this season was so unique, it started with the conclusion of the Crisis on Infinite Earths. I cannot rave about the crisis enough. And it is so much of what paved the way for this season, because again, it's all one world now. And the Blu-ray includes that special five-episode disc, a separate disc with all the episodes of Crisis. So if this is the only CW show that you're going for, you'll get the entire Crisis on Infinite Earths. You also see the departure of Brandon Routh in this season, and I thought he was a great addition, even though, in my eyes, he's still Superman. He played Ray Palmer, first on Arrow, then he went over to Legends, and he had a whole arc. There were changes as a result of the Crisis, that had a ripple effect throughout the whole season. And who's better than Katie Lotz as Sarah Lance? I mean, she just owns every scene that she's in. Uh, Heat Wave's in it still. Uh, the, the Wave Rider is in it. It's the fifth season of DC's Legends of Tomorrow. And with COVID shutting down all the productions, who knows when we're going to see season six. It's out on Blu-ray and digital and DVD, wherever you can find Blu-rays, DVDs, and digital I recommend the Voodoo app. That's just my personal opinion. This is the group of misfit heroes, and they are as wild as ever. The complete fifth season of DC's Legends of Tomorrow. And we continue our conversation on Batman Death in the Family, and we welcome in Jason Todd himself. He, and people know him as Phineas, and let's just not kid ourselves. I'm talking to Phineas here, but yes, he is Jason Todd in Batman Death in the Family. The great Vincent Martella joins us now. Vincent, welcome. How are you, man? Hey, I'm great. Thank you for having me. Uh, first of all, quarantine, safety, everything been good? I mean, animation is the only thing that's going on. We haven't seen a live action movie in, in, in months, but uh, man, you're doing, you're, you're rocking and rolling with shows and this film. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I've definitely been lucky um, to have been working in animation for a while now. And um, I had two really exciting projects coming out while uh, also nothing else is coming out. So hopefully everyone just watches Batman Death and the Family and the Phineas and Ferb the movie. <laughs> right, right. There's a new Phineas and Ferb movie. And we'll, we'll get to that in, in a second. Um, what do you remember? Because, you know, from my research and, you know, I, I assume you're 26, 27 years old. You were a teenager when Under the Red Hood came out and you played the teen Jason Todd, uh, who was Robin. And there's some gory stuff in there. What do you remember from that project? And how shocked were you when they called and said, we're going to continue that story? Yeah, I mean, I was very shocked that um, we were going to be able to continue the story because it had been so long, as you said. Yeah, I was, I was 16 when I did that. And uh, now I'm 27. And so getting the call to, uh, to reprise this role was super exciting. I mean, being a part of the DC universe in general is a huge honor. And 
it's really, really fun to see work I do. Um, you know, see my boys come out of Robin, you know, that, that still brings me back to being a kid every time, <laughs> you know? It's, it's, it's crazy. It, it, it's wild. And, but that movie um, resonated with so many fans because they, look, they've done 40 of these things. I mean, these movies are, are and each one's better than the next, but Under the Red Hood is considered one of the top five. I mean, the, the scene at the end of it with, and you're not in that scene, but when the Joker is, um, it, when, when the Joker is uh, being held up by the Red Hood and he's upset for not killing him. And Batman has to explain it. Some of the best Batman material going. And I think fans are excited just to see all the what if scenarios. You know, we talked about it with Zara before. Just the idea that there are long ways to go through this film. There are short ways because it's choose your own adventure. Yeah, and I think that's what makes this so exciting is because, I mean, in general, like this storyline, as you said, it, it really seemed to resonate with people. Um, the first time around and so now giving them the opportunity to actually um, make their own choices and um, and really explore these characters in a deeper way I think fans are really going to enjoy doing that you know the other interesting conversation about it that I find fascinating is you know back in the 80s when they did the contest you know the 900 number and you had to call the 900 number should Robin die and that was social media before there was social media. Everybody wanted Jason Todd killed. I mean, it was—it just shows you how <laughs> sick fans are. <laughs> Just—it was, and I remember reading about it after the fact because I was young, you know, when it first came out. Uh, but I was just like, of course, you're not surprised that they voted the fans dying. I think the most intriguing part, and you've—you you, know—you you know all the 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 combinations, is what happens if Batman saves him and Jason Todd doesn't die, how that goes. And from the trailer, there's a, there's a scene with Two-Face and there's, there's so much there just to think that that guy almost bit it and what that would have been in the comics had the fans not be sick people. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and that's actually something super interesting about this film is, you know, we, we talk often uh, in the different storylines about, you know, family and about trauma and what these events cause other people to do and you know you don't just get to uh to walk away from an event so horrific and terrible with no consequence and so seeing what that does to jason todd is super super interesting in this movie and i'm glad we uh i'm glad that the fans are going to now get a chance to see that okay so there that might be a spoiler thing um and i and, and this isn't a plot giveaway so i just want to make sure the incident with the joker happens either way Right. There's no, there's no way there's an angle in this film where they'll say, you know what? The Joker never gets a hold of Jason Todd and they live happily ever after. Right. That, that, that doesn't exist in this film. Right. Yeah. 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 We, 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 no matter what, we're always um, at least going to start from the point where, um, uh, which is in um, under the red hood, as well as, you know, death in the family, which is the Joker. Uh, the Joker has me. The Joker certainly has Robin. It's just what comes next. And there are a lot of different uh, directions that can go depending on um, what the audience chooses. How uh, big a superhero fan were you? Uh, you know, and I want to get into your career in a second, but how big a, a comic book fan? And in, in your estimation, whether it's animation or live action, who's, who's your Batman and who's your Superman or, or whatever your hero happens to be? And yes, you're allowed to say Marvel heroes. We're not a DC podcast. 
No, yeah, you know what? I think um, uh, I haven't read as many comic books as I've seen comic book films. I've read a handful That's of you fair. know graphic novels and comics, but my Batman, you know, like my first understanding of who Batman was was definitely Val Kilmer. Um, okay. Like that was my first like as a child going. That's who Batman is. It was. Um, it was definitely that Batman film, and I loved Jim Carrey as a kid, so I was you know all excited about the Riddler. But then as I grew up, um, you know, obviously the Nolan, um, Nolan Batman trilogy, uh, you know, the Dark Knight trilogy just really ended up being, you know, my interpretation of like, whoa, you know, this is what superhero films can be. And so it's been really exciting. I mean, just anyone who appreciates pop culture, seeing what's gone on for the last, you know, what is it now, uh, 12 years in terms of um, superhero content has to be very excited about it. It's, it's always strange to me when I meet someone who's like, yeah, I can't really get into it. Although you can't get into any of them. I I say that about hockey and I say that about Prince. All I say is I'm not going to force my beliefs on you, but all I say is try a hockey game, go to a hockey game, try it out. Just go. Right. And then look me in the eye and tell me it's awful. Go see, go see Batman under the red hood and say, I hate this stuff. Yeah. And going to a hockey game. That's such a good point. That is such a fun experience. (laughs) It's it's so much fun. And I've never heard a person go to a hockey game and not say, Oh my God, that's exciting. What, what, where has this sport been on my life? And you know, it's, it's just, it's just kind of, kind of funny. Um, based on all of, of that logic, did you hear the rumor and we've talked about it on the podcast. So the audience knows this if, if, if you've been listening, uh, and that is, uh, the rumor that there is a three hour, Joel Schumacher cut of Batman Forever, and what? And it <laughs> happened when he died. And there's rumor is, if the Snyder cut goes really, really well, that they have this footage and it's dark and it's very introspective and it's a whole lot more to it than the original film. And Joel Schumacher had always said there's much more to this story than he got to tell, and it got shortened. And I just kind of wonder. It, it's the thing I never thought about in my life, but oh my God, I want that in the worst way. Yeah, I want that too. I had no idea about that. Obviously, I know about the Snyder Cut happening, but um, which is, is mind-blowing enough that they have that much footage. Um, obviously, that's a whole other conversation. But um, That's $70 million. That, uh, they're reshooting a bunch of stuff too. Yeah, yeah, but just even seeing all the footage that they had, it was just like, whoa. So, so to know that, you know that there's a Joel Schumacher one too, where it's like, how in the world does all this footage exist? It's pretty awesome. That's pretty crazy. Um, you started your career in live action. You know, you were on Everybody Hates Chris. Congratulations for that. Yeah. Oh, thank um, you. Uh, you had done a role on uh, Deuce Bigelow, which I didn't know until I did some research on this. I knew about it. Everybody Hates wow, Chris. Wow, you didn't you didn't know about that film that I'm sure won many Oscars? That's so uh, weird that you didn't know about it. I that. know. You're, you're, now you're <laughs> regretting ever coming on the show. Um, <laughs> how did you get into animation? And what was the hook? Was it something that you pursued? Did they find you? It, it didn't just start with Phineas and Ferb. Like, take me no, from, yeah, I mean, how'd you get into this business? Yeah, I mean, well, in terms of the animation, because um, I, I, I'm only, uh, you know, I became an actor because, you know, a teacher made a, a recommendation to me. She was just like, you're very, you know, you can do, you know, drama class and you can do, that's something that real people do is you, you can perform if you want to. And so, you know, obviously there's just the stepping stones of acting class, being an agent, all that stuff. Um, but then in terms of animation, um, I had always enjoyed doing impressions and doing funny voices of cartoons and doing, you know, and actors and everything. And um, because of that, I just ended up auditioning for a, a Disney cartoon that I booked 
that didn't go anywhere. It was called Can You Dig It? And it was a 1970s themed kids show from the creator of the show Recess. And yeah, it was a pilot that did not get picked up, but that was my first, you know, foray into animation. And what was interesting about that too, was that was an ensemble read, the whole cast read together, which never happens anymore. And so that was a really unique experience. And then it was just, you know, um, I eventually auditioned for Phineas and Ferb and I got very lucky getting that anyways, because um, my audition, you know, was lost in the shuffle until six months later. And yeah, then one thing led to another and here I am getting to work on, you know, something within the DC universe. It's very crazy. That's crazy. And Phineas and Ferb, just a minute on that. I I mean, the the fan base is rabid for that show. I mean, (laughs) yeah, yeah. There are people and and it, it, it look, we know what the target demo is, but it's, you know, it, it's in the in the realm of Animaniacs or Pinky in the Brain. It's 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 a, it's for adults, even though it's for kids. And there, you know, there's always that hook and just the staying power of Phineas and Ferb. I've just I've been fascinated by it, just in the sense that that's not a flash in the pan. This has a legacy now. Yeah, thank you. I mean, we that that's our writers. I mean, that's that's our writers and our creators, and they give us really really good material, and we get to go out there and. Uh, and make stuff that a lot of families were able to watch together and enjoy together. And that's always the, you know, one of the biggest compliments is, you know, I have, I have families and I always had parents tell me and still just, you know, we're able to watch this show with our kids and we all really enjoy the experience of it. So that's always the most flattering thing to me. We'll be back with more of the Hall of Justice, but first, I have to tell you about another podcast I do, and yeah, we talk about it from time to time, but anybody who knows my career knows it's a sports broadcasting career. Yes, I love the Hall of Justice so much. I also started a podcast that is called Sports with Friends. It's a play on words, because my mother always played words with friends. And I thought, wouldn't it be neat to see if I have as many friends in the industry that could come on a show and be open and honest and have a friendly chat? So I started the podcast and said every guest is a friend. But then I found out that some of my friends are in PR and they book guests for the show. They've asked me to put people I'm just meeting. So now every guest is a friend or a friend of a friend. We play Jewish Geography. Some of the past guests on this show can be really close friends like Dave Softy Mahler or Andrew Siciliano, and some of them are big icons that are also friends. Ken Griffey Jr. thinks he made my career. Martin Brodeur, the best goalie in the history of the NHL. And we also tackle big topics. We'll find out about cord cutting for a sports fan or the life and death of Kobe Bryant. And then there was Nancy Lieberman's appearance. What a story she had to tell. And then there's Eli Manning, who's been on the podcast five times and counting. All I know is if you listen to Sports with Friends, you'll hear some great guests. You'll hear so many stories, and you'll feel like you know not only them, but me. Check out Sports with Friends wherever you can get your podcasts. And if you're listening to this one, I guarantee you, you'll find Sports with Friends right there. What has been the takeaway? Like when you do, you know, when, when, it, when we're in normal times and we can go to Comic-Cons and such, I mean, do, do people know your name? Like they've seen you in the credits 
And like I said, it's it's hundreds of episodes. So we're talking about, yeah. a, a, you know, a show that has this massive lifespan. And I, I, I just I can't imagine being connected to something that unique and that strong. And it must have opened so many doors for you. Yeah, I mean, that, that is a, a Phineas and Ferb will always hold a really, really special place in my heart, at, you know, as will the character of Phineas. It's been an incredible time. I mean, I started working on it in 2006 and now here we are with another, you know, with a movie out. So it's wild to me that something, you know, that anything is a part of your life for that long, because that's a really long time to have, you know, a group of people in your life in any regard, um, let alone, you know, something that affects your career and affects, you know, how other people see you. Um, in regards to people, uh, you know, stopping me or whatnot or knowing my name, the, the most times that happens is, is, you know, I used to go to Disneyland all the time when I lived in Los Angeles. Um, so I live in New York now. And um, people at Disney would stop me all the time because, you know, people who, you know, annual pass holders at Disney are big Disney fans in general. So they'd know me. Um, but most of the time, not really. Not, I mean, at Comic-Con sometimes, um, for sure. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it was mostly at Disney. I will tell you my my favorite Disneyland story of all time. Uh, in 2002, the Angels made the World Series and Disney had just sold the Angels to Artie Moreno. And as a uh, like a wanna compliment the Angels, they host they hosted the World Series Gala at Disneyland. They closed the park and at night they had a full bar and the park was open and I had never seen, and I've never seen so many drunk fools on roller coasters in my wow. life. It is the funniest thing. And I can't look at Disneyland the same way. Orlando's different. Oh, you know, I've taken my kids there. I've taken my kids there, but but Disneyland, that's a drunken fest. It was crazy. <laughs> I'd never heard that. That's really funny. Oh my God, that World Series of 2002. That's all, literally all I think about is that night at Disneyland. And it, it's the wow. only time I've ever been there. It, it's, it's so stupid. That must have been um, a very unique experience. Yeah, wow. Lastly, uh, do you think a fan needs to see Death in the Family first or Under the Red Hood first if they didn't have the opportunity or should they go back and see Under the Red Hood before Death in the Family comes out? You can see Death in the Family without having seen Under the Red Hood. Like, this exists on its own without needing that. Um, I do recommend watching them both, though. I, I think that that's going to, like, I think not only just because I'm super biased, because, um, you know, watch my performance or something. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm an actor and watch me. Um, no, um, but also just because um, that is a story that really resonated with a lot of people and people really responded to it well. I'm, I'm very proud of that movie. And I think it's only going to enhance your experience watching Death in the Family. But I don't think you have to do it. But if you got the time and you haven't seen Under the Red Hood, it's very good. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm lucky I was, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge part of it, but I was lucky that I was in it. Well, then you have to settle one thing. When you watch Star Wars, do you watch four, five, six, one, two, three, or one, two, three, four, five, six? I watch four, five, six, one, two, three. There you go. Look yeah. What about you? You know, I, I tried it both ways to get my kids into it, and I thought Jar Jar had a shot, but they, they, would, they didn't buy either way. So it was literally it's <laughs> half of four and a quarter of one. That's all I got. Wow. Okay. All right. Anyway, uh, Vincent, uh, how can people find you online? Yeah, I mean, uh, you can follow me on uh, Twitter or Instagram. I'm uh, VinMan17 on Twitter or the Vincent Martella on, on Instagram. I'm verified on both. So you'll be able to find me, but yeah. Very nice. Well, uh, folks, th Vincent, thank you so much. Congrats on death in the family. And we'll talk to you real soon.
Yeah, thank you for having me, Seth. Vincent Martella and Zara Fuzzle, such a great crew. Talia and Jason Todd, and I'm telling you, their scenes together, some of the... But not all of the scenes, and that's the best thing about Batman Death in the Family. This is unique, and, you know, this is something that Brandon Vietti came up with, this is an idea that continues a legacy of one of the greatest animated films in the DC universe and give it a whirl. And that's not a paid thing. They didn't ask me to do this. They offered it to me and I wanted a chance to talk to these folks to bring this to life. And there is no obligation, but I'm just saying this is my hearty recommendation. Check out Batman Death in the Family wherever you can find Blu-rays, DVDs, and let's face it, these live action shows, they're not coming back soon. And animation's the way to go. And the animation is top flight. Uh, we'll be back next week with another edition of the Hall of Justice. We'll be reviewing The Boys. They'll have that season finale by then. I'm so excited. Should be a lot of fun. Victor will be back. Until then, go see Batman Death in the Family. We'll talk to you then. <laughs>